Coming up next, the looking reads remains of the day. Everybody, this is David Emerson, your humble and obedient host. Welcome to the booking. This is opening number four that we've recorded. Two of those openings, technical issues. The third opening, I just didn't like it that much. It's a rare occasion. Usually I just go with it. I make it work. I bring my charm, my 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 skill, my hosting acumen to the table, and I make the opening work even if something goes awry. We just build it in or we, you know, we know we can edit it out. But this time, that time I just decided I didn't like the direction it was going. It's happening right now. Booking history is being made. We've got Brandon Chastine and Jacob Menzel. Brandon, of course, he's the baller who's a scholar of reading. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jacob Menzel, he's the pastor who's a master of reading. Yep. So let's do some donor shout outs, eh? Let's do it. And just for fun, let's do them like we're singing opera. <laughs> okay. That's better. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. Andrew and Esther, the, love, the lovebirds. <laughs> Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. <laughs> Amazing. The inscrutable Jenny Z. The inscrutable Jenny Z. The inscrutable Jenny Z. I got you, Jenny. The inscrutable Jenny Z. <laughs> Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. <laughs> John and Jill and little baby Max. Is that an opera? No. No. <laughs> That's, uh, what is that? That's, um... Something. Something. It's not an opera, though. You sure? It may be. Who knows? My beloved Mother Beth. My beloved Mother Beth. My Nathan's beloved mother. I'm playing along, Nathan. <laughs> what else can you do? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I did that one for you. Yeah. Uh, Maya. That's exactly what I was thinking. Maya. Maya. <laughs> See, this is fun. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese. Opera that. Brandon. Jay and Katie, who are cold love cheese. <laughs> Benny T and Dana T. Benjamin Tiberius and Dana. Is that it? Are we done? I think Benjamin and Tiberius and Dana still need an opera one. Oh. Uh, we haven't done what's the thing that they used in Riot in the Dance and in Apocalypse Now much more famously. We haven't done that one yet. Oh, yeah. What is that one? What are there? Da, da, yeah. Da, da. Jay and Katie. No. Who? We already Benjamin got one. Benjamin Tiberius. And Dan. And and his da, da, da. Wife. Nathan, not me. Nathan, not me. I think this is Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Eric and Catherine the Lovebirds. 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 Okay. I think that might be the Barbara Roosevelt. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. Ah, Professor X. Professor X. Professor X. Opera style, Brandon. Why is this on me? Because it's a way you're being punished for Jake's sins. <laughs> it's like prison or something. Yeah. Professor X. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Wait, that's not opera again. That's Titanic. <laughs> Near, far, 
Professor X. <laughs> well, once again, we've made a mockery of the donor shout-out system. Hey, let's talk about this Remains of the Day movie. Let's do it. I was disappointed by this movie. Yeehaw. It was just cut of the chase. Yeah, I was a little disappointed, too. So was I. There we go, the end. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Why were we so disappointed? Well, <laughs> question? I don't know, Brandon. I'm not sure I would say I was so disappointed. No, it was, it was a good a movie. movie. It was fine. Probably reading it in su- or watching it in such close proximity to the book didn't help very much. Yeah. The book was fresh in my mind, and I was like, why did they do that? Why did they do that? Yeah, they took out some significant things or reduced certain scenes. You don't get as much of his travels. That's You don't really sure. get the sense that he's traveling. That's for sure. And that was a big loss. I, I think they could have easily done that mm-hmm. and had him more being reflective and then yep. it being clear that these were past memories. And I mean, it was clear enough in the movie, I suppose, but... He didn't feel significantly older. They didn't do a lot with makeup. No. They did in a couple scenes they tried. Like the scene yeah. where he was being made fun of by the guys for not having his opinions about politics. Yes. They obviously were making him younger there. Right. He like had some red dye in his hair or something. I did not notice the red dye. But the book is a challenge to make into a movie. I can see that because it's all this first person narrative looking back on his life. A first person unreliable narr- yeah. narrator. And that's a part of the novel is you realizing that he's coming to terms with himself. And so obviously he's going to be lying about aspects mm-hmm. of his past. Just like we all do when we're trying to come to terms with ourselves and make right. excuses. Which means that as we're reading him telling the stories, we're also trying to read between the lines and never knowing if we're getting the right story mm-hmm. or the whole story. And that's part of the fun of it, right. if you can call it fun. And part of the brilliance of it, too, is that through the cracks, you do begin to see the real people. Yes. So, like, at first, you kind of think Lord Darlington could be a villain. Mm-hmm. And then as the book progresses, and then you have Ishiguro brilliantly introduces that German woman. That kind of puts... Darlington into relief for you. Yeah. Because you begin to see that he was more of a puppet. That becomes clear enough in the book, but the movie, the movie, everything has to be very black and white. It's because it's your, this third person omniscient narrative is happening. And I understand that that's maybe unavoidable, but to me, it was disappointing because a large part of the fun and the interest of the book was lay in that lie, lay, lay in that ambiguity. And having everything be so concrete was. Just disappointing. Like you suddenly understood the nature of Miss Kenton's relationship with Stevens and what she wanted and wh- how romantic it was because you saw two actors playing. It had it. to be, yeah, definitively portrayed on screen. And it wasn't like there are ways to create that kind of ambiguity in a movie, but you know, it relies on having multiple perspectives of the same scene or something like that. I almost you wish they would have done that. Flashback, you get somebody else's flashback and it's different. Then you know, okay, we're seeing two different sides of the same coin here and not quite sure which is. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was kind of wishing that they would have used some avant-garde techniques to, to capture a little bit more of the novel. Cause I just felt like the whole movie, not only was it, did you lose the ambiguity, which I get, but also I wasn't sure that I agreed with a lot of the ways that they decided to resolve said amb- it seemed like they oftentimes took the cuddliest least offensive easiest way out of each area the of ambi- way. yeah 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 the, the Downton Abbey way out of each ambiguity what was it was this a tragic love story or wasn't it well yes it was it was a very beautiful tragic love story was Lord Darlington bad or wasn't he uh, actually he wasn't he was a decently cool guy that happened to be a fop how what was Stephen's relationships with his father it was good. I mean, it was just like a lot of the stuff where you feel real tension in the novel, the tension just kind of felt resolved, resolved. here, almost in a pat way in some places. Which meant that the movie itself 
didn't have enough tension in it as a movie. Yes. And so they could have leaned in hard on in a, in a number of different ways and they just they didn't take any risks as far as that was. They could have made Lord Darlington an evil Nazi. Right. Which, you know, you're watching it and you know the book and you're glad that they don't do that. I was. I expect we all were glad they didn't do that. Absolutely. They let him yeah. be a good English gentleman who was on the wrong side of history and was confused and was played and didn't quite know what he was doing. <laughs> That's cool, but you're also taking the the tension out of... Stevens' self-discovery by giving him more self-knowledge and emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and not and taking his travel and his reflections out of the picture. And so he's not on a journey of self-discovery so much. I mean, he is a little bit, he's sort of having to come to terms with, with things, but a lot of that tension and drama is taken out. Yeah, and it's just as simple as like you cast a certain kind of person to play Lord Darlington, and that basically tells you everything you need to know about the guy, and there's not a lot of... What it actually reminded me of, I don't think it's any secret to people that Warhorn fans that I used to watch a lot of horror movies and read a lot of horror books. It was always disappointing to watch a movie based on a supernatural book because supernatural books can do all this kind of ambiguity. You know, was there a ghost? Wasn't there a ghost? But then in the movie, it's like, well, there's a ghost right there. I guess I guess I know what the ambiguity was. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of deflated by this movie. It's a like a, a hugely successful, popular. I mean, it wasn't like a big blockbuster, but in terms of art, arty little movies, it was quite well received. Well, yeah, and I mean, Anthony acclaimed. Hopkins is great. Emma Thompson yeah. did a killer job. She was great. the The casting was uh, was all interesting, and and this is before the boom of upstairs, downstairs, Downton Abbey kind mm-hmm. of. You know, seeing that sort of, you know, the the portrayals of British servant life have become very popular and uh, they just weren't. But it was also before HBO and Breaking Bad and Mad Men and all that stuff. And I feel like in the age of peak TV, we kind of know that they can do novels like this a little bit better, that they can capture some of the ambiguity and you don't have to cram it all into a two-hour movie that resolves all the tension. Yeah. And so I was inclined to be a little bit less patient with the plotting obvious ways that this movie resolved some things. Tried to answer these questions. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, it just it, it seemed like they were just cutting too many things and then making assumptions they shouldn't have made. Right. So, like you pointed out, the book scene where she comes into his study and mm-hmm. tries to see what he's reading. Yeah. In the book, it's kind of clear what's going on, but you don't know if he's reading back into it or not. In the movie, it just makes it very overt. Well, and it, it changes the whole meaning because it feels in the movie very much. You see, you have that scene, which is very, uh, what's the word? I want to say erotic, but that's not quite right. It's it's charged with a lot of sexual tension, and both the characters in the scene know it. In the book, it's never really clear. And insofar as it is clear, you kind of think Stevens doesn't get that you kind of think at the end of his life, he realized, oh, I was in love with this lady. Like, right. yeah. I, I never knew that about myself. I was an idiot. I was dumb. Right. Jake often said in discussing it, I don't remember how much of this made it on mic, but you said he, this guy seems borderline autistic. Yeah, it's like Asperger's. Right, yeah, yeah. So Anthony Hopkins doesn't play it that way at all. He seems like an intelligent man, a man that in some sense is in touch with his emotions. He likes, there's this weird and thing in that control, they added in, where- In control and command of them. He, he's listening to music in one part and he says what a lovely 
piece of music. I thought that was an incredibly strange mm-hmm. off character thing to add to just randomly add for no reason. Yeah. Um, but you, you end up getting this character who seems to really know he loves this woman and know that he can't do anything about it for whatever weird mental psychological block, which to me is a lot well, different than the book. There, you, you know, you, you have that book scene in the book and he's reading these chintzy romance novels, right? right. The, the music was leaning into the idea that he has an, an inner romantic or an inner sentimentalist, mm-hmm. you know, that he needs to find ways to let out. That's clearly why they why they did that. They just leaned hard into that. But that's just not the portrayal that you get. That's not the sense that you get of him in the book. It really felt like the, just the classic Hollywood thing. I mean, the joke about Hollywood is that they made the Scarlet, they, they made the Scarlet Letter into a passionate love story. I mean, they always do that. It's just like, I don't know. It felt, I mean, I know Merchant and Ivory, I don't think I've ever seen, context, oh, there goes the plane. I don't think I've ever seen any other Merchant and Ivory movies. I know they did like Howard's End and a room of, or the room with a view and a bunch of these classy. Ian Forster books, yeah. basically. Books, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen any of the other ones, so. I've seen Howard's End. Is it good? It's a lot like this one, but I think this style fits better with an Ian Forster novel. Yeah, probably. Because Ian Forster, he's much more straightforward than Ish- Ishiguro is. So. I found a quote where Ishiguro said, I, I tried to write unfilmable novels, but Ishiguro also famously likes this movie and enjoys he seeing his work. He says he tries to write unfilmable yeah. novels? Well, that fits then. I was saying, I think this movie kind of proved to me that an Ishiguro novel kind of is unfilmable. That's what I thought too. Because this one, at least. I think, well, most of his novels that I've read now have the same sense of this person looking back over their past life, trying to come to terms with who they are. I think we talked about this. Ishiguro's conclusions are that you will never come to terms with who you are. Right. Of course, he doesn't know how you ever could. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's missing. He's missing that piece to the puzzle. But I do think Ishiguro kind of comes to the right conclusions that you will never come to terms with who you are. Right. Other than just lying to yourself. Mm. And so one of the sillier moments of the movie was where they tried to make that metaphor with the bird. Yeah. They, I don't know why yeah, they did that. Well, I think it was try- them trying to say that this was... So they take away the scene where he has that moment with the person sitting on the dock and they replace it with Miss Kenton. Right. And so they get to have their moment together where she helps him have his revelation about the remains of the day. And so then he has, I mean, the look on Hopkins' face is heartbreaking. He's sitting there. He looks like he's... After she leaves on the Your heart breaks just like... Your heart, his heart was breaking. Wasn't right. that what Ishiguro added? That mm. song, that line from that song? Yeah. So you could see it. Ish- Hopkins is a brilliant actor, but it wasn't supposed to happen with her. It was supposed to happen after the fact, after she had stayed with her husband, mm-hmm. and he wasn't quite sure whether or not she loved him. I think in the book, she does admit that she wondered sometimes what would have happened. Yeah. She? Yeah, she actually says... She admits a little bit more in the book than she admits in the yeah. movie. I don't remember exactly what the line is, but she definitely does. Yeah. I thought it was weird that we got scenes from her point of view. There that they they added that thing which the actor that played her husband, Mr. Ben, did a nice job. I liked him, but yeah. they gave that scene where we find out exactly what her marriage is like and how she's feeling about things before she goes and sees Hopkins for the last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a strange choice. Yeah, it was just a bunch of choices. Like, let's make the the, the most obvious... I don't know. I feel snobby attacking this movie because this movie is supposed to be a movie for people that like more I think artistic just failed. movies. I don't think they. I think that they missed the major conceit of the novel. Yeah, they tried to make it this love story, this tragic romance. Well, but the the major conceit of the novel was something that was going to be near impossible to make a movie out of. That's like, fair. Yeah, that's the. And insofar as they just made their choices and made a nice tragic romance, I, it's a good movie. Like if you I never mean, read yeah. the novel, you'd you've probably got, like you've the got movie. this novel. I mean, this is it's a problem, right? 
right? You've got this novel in front of you. What choices are you going to make? Well, you can try to do something really complex and difficult, or you can say, you know what? At its core is this this whole love story that he's processing this whole this whole time. And so let's just make it the love story. Let's let all the decisions just sort of fall as straightforwardly as possible, and then see see what it works, and do and have some great casting. Yeah, and I guess I that's mean, fair. You can't. I don't know that I can fault them for making those decisions, given how difficult it is to pull off what the novel. Maybe the the decision should have been to just not make this the remains of the day. That's what I would say because this isn't remains of the day. I mean, I just don't think that this actually. Like my question with any adaptation is not you know people are oh it didn't include the scene where Harry and Hermione stood by the lake or whatever you know there's always there's those people I'm not one of those I don't they can ditch every scene they can change every line of dialogue they can combine characters they can do whatever they want the only question for me is does it capture the spirit of the book is is whatever that intrinsic thing the theme the 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 feeling of the book does it capture it and so you can have a movie that's quite different but it gets that it gets what people like about the book what i like about the book and then it finds a way to put that on film in this case I just felt like they did a story that contained a lot of the dialogue and characters and particulars of the novel, but didn't capture that essence. So it may be a lot of good things, but this isn't Ishiguro's Remains of the Day. Yeah, it's not that it's not his book. And I'm not sure that it really works as an interesting movie. Otherwise, there are some interesting characters. Darlington is interesting enough in the movie. I like Darlington in the movie. I think one of the places you see the failure the most is in how they, like I said, how they treat his travel. You you Mm -hmm. barely get any of it. But when he finally shows up to that last scene with the people who mistake him for a a foreign governor Mm -hmm. officer during the war. So he knew Churchill. That's kind of really downplayed. You don't get the comedy of that as much. Mm -hmm. So you you do get a little bit of the comedy that's in the book. The scene with Hugh Grant's pretty funny. Oh, where he tries to tell him about the birds and the bees. Yeah, that was nice. So they do capture that part of the book fairly faithfully. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the other comedy that's in the book is kind of missing. And then um, when the Dr. Carlisle takes him to his car... I don't think that in the book he admitted to him that he was Darlington's butler, did he? He did. Did he? He admitted that he was a butler, but the movie adds oh, the whole thing oh, about oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. being sorry that he was he was sorry he had lied. He was Darlington's butler. I don't know about Darlington. The movie definitely turns it into a scene where the doctor is But I don't think that the same dynamic the... is happening there. Where... Th- that's what I'm saying. They, they yeah. completely made that up. And that's, that's actually a scene that disappointed me because I think that's where the movie was trying to tell you what it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Like it was trying to tell you the ethics of the book. He's there and he tells him he's sorry he lied. He was Darlington's butler. Mm-hmm. And then the guy keeps trying to say, oh, I'm interested. How do you live with that? Right. Right. And so it's like it's trying to tell you the question the story is trying to get you to ask, which I really hate it when something does that. Yeah, it's, it's like, just telling you the tension that yeah. they couldn't make you feel. Right. And they knew they couldn't make you feel it, so they had to tell you. The only way to make you feel the the tension that they were telling you you should feel is to have made Darlington a true villain. Yeah. I'm glad that they didn't just make Darlington... I, I agree with you. That would have been one way to solve the narrative problem. I mean, I'm glad that they... At the same time, I'm glad they didn't just do that. That would have felt cheap somehow to just have him be a bad guy. I wish he could have been well, a little pro- bit edgier. The problem is that you still say that everything feels cheap to you, and they still have no tension. Right. And so they took cheap ways out of everything without adding any real drama or tension in. Well, right. 
And you never get the darkness, like the book, that meeting that they all have at the beginning of the novel, mm-hmm. that big conference. You get the sense that there's something sinister happening, it, but it's in the background. It's like, it's subconscious. Not the first conference. You don't get anything sinister happening. You get the sense that something might be sinister. You get the idea that Mr. Lewis Lewis really wants the the French uh, minister's attention, yeah. but can't ever get it. Yeah. And that's very different than him trying to weave a web while everybody's in suspense about where the French guy's going to come down. Yeah, which is what the movie does. Is that what you're saying? The book, everybody's in suspense about where the French guy's going to come yeah. down. And he's, because of his injury to his feet, he's grumpy and nasty and spending a lot of time with Mr. Lewis actually talking in private. And Mr. Lewis is trying to weave a web and then he turns the tables on him at the end. Yeah. Right? And this is just like Mr. Lewis is chasing him around around, he can't get his attention, and then he just stands up and commends Lord Darlington, and why are we talking about that? Just an example of how, how, the book fla- is, how they flatten they just yeah, how they flatten it. So in that conference, in the book, maybe it's just the fact that they're talking about the Germans and you know what's about to happen. Right. That's where the sort of sinister nature to it, it's mysterious. We're kind of, it, that's over here, we're here with Stevens. We don't see it as much. We just kind of get Stevens' sense of it. And so there's some confusion even in our mind as to what's going on. And by the time Stevens is telling about, is justifying it to himself at the end, we've learned that Stevens is a man that lies to himself or doesn't know himself. And so it just introduces this whole question of, well, what did what was happening and would Stevens have even seen it if it it, it throws a shadow yeah, over everything. Exactly. So there's this ambiguity to everything that we don't get when we have in the movie, the conference is very stark, like Jake was saying. But then at the near the end of the movie they have the scene where this real Aryan looking German guy comes and it's just like two on the nose Nazi all of a sudden. Yeah. I thought. So they kind of instead of splitting the difference, they did the one they did the not sinister enough and then they almost went too sinister at a certain point. Like uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some some Indiana Jones Nazis coming together to meet with Lord Halifax and it's all... It was confused. It didn't know what it was trying to do because I don't think they... They had that whole weird thing where they're like making notes of the paintings and stuff and... Yeah. Lord Darling, like what, they're going to take it? Like, or they're going to buy it or they're going to... Like they already had his number and they knew. Which also means I, I don't quite understand what they were trying to do with Lewis's character. I think what my, my suspicion is what they were trying to do is cast a star. And so they combined it with Faraday <laughs> to make the part a little bit meatier so that they could get somebody like Christopher Reeve to play the part instead of... And then act. they figured they could then play into solving the tension problem by right. you know, having Lewis be the guy that uh, Stevens now has to... Has to... Butler. I don't think they did the work of making you understand why Lewis would want to buy the place. No. If you're going to cast Christopher Reeve and make it into a big resonant part, you should. You might as well just lean into that and actually write a part for him that makes sense, which they didn't really yeah, do. Like, so what happened at the conference that was supposed to make Lewis so sympathetic to where he would want to come back and buy this house? They had some dumb exposition in there. like He grew up vacationing in England and in the area and he loved the place. It reminds him of where he vacationed as a kid and everything about it is wonderful. And I mean, they did that kind of exposition very, again, very, how did you put it? Easy, not easy or cheap, but Uh, I don't know. You had a different way of putting it earlier. Plottingly was the word I think. Well, what else is there to say about this thing? Was Hopkins the right choice to play Stevens? You have two ways of uh, of answering that question. One is, was he playing the role that they wanted him to play, that they were directing him to play? Then they sure did pick a great guy for it. Mm-hmm. The other way of 
thinking about it is, was he trying to play the Stevens from the book? Money if does. not, we've discovered Anthony Hopkins' one weakness, inability to play a character who lacks em- emotional depth yeah. and right. self-knowledge. Well, and just intelligence. And Anthony Hopkins, I mean, he's Hannibal Lecter for crying out loud. He's famous for playing keen wit and intelligence. And I actually thought Anthony Hopkins was a miscasting just when I heard it, when I knew we were going to watch this and I'd finally read the book. I just thought, oh, Anthony Hopkins is just way too smart and likable for me to buy as this kind of weird butler guy. Yeah. But then the very beginning of the movie, he walks on frame and he's got this kind of scowl. And I thought, oh, maybe he's doing it. I had the same it. thought. He's yeah. playing like a kind of, he had this, he has this like kind of thuggish. It was kind of exciting. Yeah. It was like, like oh, he's like, transforming himself for this role he's gonna play like jake's autistic he's really doing this like yeah and then that just kind of goes away i think he just happened to be frowning or something in that scene but yeah i had the exact same feeling this sort of like we might i might be in for something really great here like Like, this would be a treat if he just transformed himself into the guy from the book in a way that we've never really never seen him play that kind of a role yeah Yeah. that would have been amazing but this was much more akin to our other anthony hopkins role of shadowlands where he's just an intelligent guy who's kind of buttoned down and he reminded me of C.S. Lewis as a butler. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they just made these weird choices, like having him smoke cigars. It just, that just gives him an air of leisure and comfort and power. You know, just security. Security. That's the word. That yeah. the Stevens guy, as written in the book, is just never comfortable with himself the way that or anyone else or anything, right? At all. I mean, this is the guy in the book who, in my favorite scene, that hilarious sad ridiculous sitcom of a scene where he's outside the door and she won't leave and he decides he's just gonna charge past her and walk really really fast after thinking about climbing out the window right. and traipsing through the garden to get away from having to conf- uh, to be confronted by her about the placement of the chinaman this is a sad stunted man yeah Anthony Hopkins is is very that. little man. Yeah. What about Emma Thompson? What did you guys think about her? She was excellent in the role that she was playing. Whether or not she should be playing the kind of housekeeper that Mister Stevens would hire, and that would make it so make it single so long uh, is another question. Right. I mean, if he doesn't hire pretty girls. Because he doesn't want the distraction. Why on earth does he hire Emma Thompson? Yeah, she's quite luminous. In which the they had to. Movie. They had a scene where someone mentioned how pretty she was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they had to, I guess, acknowledge the fact. Yeah, I was actually. I thought she was great. I mean, I thought the novel does not bother. I mean, it's not exactly a flaw, but the novel simply you can read between the lines and figure out most of the story. Just getting Stephen's point of view, but what you one thing that you can't figure out, and I think it's probably intentional, is you don't know why Miss Kenton was attracted to him. The movie, for better or for worse, I think probably for worse, but it's effective at least in what it's doing. It solves that problem. You understand where she's coming from, what she sees in this guy, and I thought she played that all really well. And most of the yeah. emotional stuff, most of the places where I felt something, it was because of what she was doing. Yep, more so than what he was doing. So. I liked her a lot. I I wouldn't have necessarily noticed this myself, but I read a review that said she modulates her accent a little bit, and so I knew to look for it. And it was really cool, actually, when she's at the end of the movie, when she meets up with Hopkins again, her accent is downgraded a little bit from the posh accent that she had in the earlier scenes in the movie. So I thought that was neat. That was a neat little acting thing. Like, she really, it just didn't really 
minor. Like you can hardly notice it, but it just it really gives you the flavor of a woman who pro- who didn't come from money, had to ad- adopt a posh accent because of this job that she had, and then went and became a housewife and kind of reverted a little bit. Huh. So there were some nice shades to her performance. I wonder if if it was an American actress given a little bit of just the slightest subtle tone uh, of twang or mm-hmm. a little bit of Southern or whatever it was, you know, after having adopted a Northern accent, if we would have, I didn't notice it. Might have been ob- more obvious for a, a, a Brit that watching. Yeah, you know. any British listeners might have picked up on it. Yeah. Picked yeah. up on it really easily. Yeah, but I, I went over my head. It's yeah. cool to know that it's something that happened. Well, like I said, yeah. I never would have noticed it either. It's just the. I love that. Atten- I love. I love that. That attention to detail. When yeah. What else? We said we liked Mr. Darlington. What about yeah. the dad? What'd you guys think about how they did the dad? That was not what I was expecting at all. They went with the lower class a little harder than I thought they would. Yeah. Yeah. That scene where he tells the story about the tiger. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting that he went all cockney on us yeah. behind closed doors. I didn't expect anything like that from him. Well, and then I don't have the novel in front of me, and me and Jake were talking about this earlier. I thought his death scene was weird. Again, it felt like they took the easy way out, like they gave the characters some nice father-son kind of closure, and then Hopkins said, I'm doing what he would always want me to do, and Miss Kenton wasn't judging him at all. It just all felt like it had this nice kind of closure to it that the novel didn't have at all. And what I thought was that the dialogue was all different. But, but I don't think that that's true. I think a lot of it was the same. But the flavor of it is... it was it, Yeah, it, it's amazing how you can take dialogue and just really change... And miss everything? Yeah. yeah. The only place they tried to kind of get it was with the uh, doctor and the bandaged feet. Mm-hmm. But by that time, the ship had sailed. Yeah, I mean, in the book, it's a tragic scene, at least the way I read it. It's Stephen... It was his triumph, he said, that he could actually... Right, and he's an idiot. He missed his dad's death, basically, because yeah. he had this idea, this this ridiculous idea. And you get the idea that, of course, Lord Darlington would have loves been this entirely butler. He would have sympathetic. been happy to let him go be with his dad, but he just had put his head down while his dad's choking away his last moments. But in the book, it's and like... everybody's judging him for it. Right. <laughs> and you kind of get the idea that, that Stevens is actually sucking, like he's... He's crying in front of people like he's actually maybe not doing a good job as a butler. Like he really should be with his dad for every conceivable reason. And he's just that stunted again. But in the movie, it's like he gets a nice closure with his dad and then he goes and he heroically does what his dad would want. It just the feeling of it was all off and it was all sentimentalized. Well, and and then he goes and with almost no discernible difference about him still gets asked, is something wrong, Stevens? You know, are you sick or you have a cold or whatever? And it's like, he's not crying. His eyes aren't red. Yeah. Like, you know, and again, I think that, I think it was a director's, Yeah, this is a dumb thing to say. It was a director's choice, but it was Mm -hmm. the director's choice to portray Stevens as being such a good and self-controlled and on top of things, Butler, that the slightest hesitation or the slightest sense that he's not all with you in that moment is perceived as whoa something must be wrong with Stevens he he hesitated you right. know like he wasn't yeah. just like a hundred percent on the ball right <laughs> something must be really wrong with Stevens mm-hmm. like is he sick yeah. like that's the way that they tried to lean into that that's a fun idea but it's not again not the Stevens of the novel right I'd li- I'd like I li- I'd like that kind of like stiff upper lip stiff upper heroic. lip uh, yeah stoic British British dude who's like yeah he's that awesome of a of a butler he has that much self command that he's able the only way you're going to 
to figure out that something awful just happened is he paused for half a second, you know, like, right, yeah. it's neat. Oh, I love that. I mean, it, but that's that, not that's what... truly heroic. But that's not, Ishiguro doesn't present him as a truly heroic kind of guy that was managing yeah. everything and was also there and had his closure with his dad and also had his duties and was trying to pull it all together. That That's how Stevens thinks of yeah. himself. Right. It's not yeah. how anybody else sees him. Right. Or how we're supposed to see him. He's more of a Collins from Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. That's a yeah. good... That's how Ishiguro sees him. Yeah. But this movie wants... They, yeah, they want this... That's a helpful thing. They want him to be this hero. They want... Yeah, I think that's and a good I way of... This because, is like the movie that Stevens would want to watch about <laughs> yeah, himself. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> the point, the thing is, is they seem to be fooled by Stevens. Right. They they took what he thought of himself very seriously. Right. And so it makes me think that, one, they're just really enchanted with his world. Yes, so, for sure. And, like if, and they, if they were to do Anna well, Karenina... And know that that would sell. Right. Yeah. If they were to do Anna Karenina, they would, well, they'd probably make the movie that was just made about Anna Karenina. It would be a beautiful love story, yeah. tragic love story between Beautiful sweeping and scenes and balls and all those things. And The husband would be a monster. Anna's husband would yeah. just be an undiluted, unmitigated monster because that resolves all that tension. Yeah, so do away with the tension and just have the pretty scenery, the... The heartbreaking love story of two ships passing in the night, right. whatever that is, where they were meant to be together, but it just didn't work out mm-hmm. because of time and yeah. happenstance. And Which I like those kinds of stories, Age of But Innocence, it wasn't this whatever. story. Yeah. Yeah, it just wasn't this story. They missed out what on what this story really was. So yeah, so they were just enchanted by the big house, the tragedy of Darlington and tragedy of their failed love. And that's what they went with mm-hmm. and they missed the point of the book. I've never watched Downton Abbey, but it seems to me that if Downton Abbey is as good, maybe it's not, but should people just watch Downton Abbey instead of this? I mean, if you're going to get soap no. opera, you might as well just get soap opera. No, you, should watch no. this. you should watch this. Okay, I'll take you guys' word for it. I don't know. Downton Abbey. I actually don't like those kinds of stories. We always read them, and I always like them. Like, I like Jane Austen's stories, but I like them because of the characters. I actually don't enjoy, like... like I, I, You mean I, how the other half lives, or you just mean you're not enchanted with... Uh, I a, resent the other half one of those I'm, I'm not like one of those occupy wall street or anything like that that's not what i'm saying but it's just like i'm, I'm not gonna watch the crown i don't care what queen elizabeth's problems were she's a queen whatever the, these things have to be really well done for me to like them to, to me they they have a point against them if it's a story about stuffy british people it's not generally something that i like well that's i mean a word in downton abbey's defense it's 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 giving you both sides right. at all times That's fair. of the house. I don't know anything about it. I've never watched it. So and I... their butler is a likable character and the a little butler. bit like Stevens in, yeah. in Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's pretty great. Well, there you go. Does Downton Abbey get the the looking the LSOA, the looking seal of the approval? Downton Abbey? Yeah. Nope. No. no. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else we want to say about the Remains of the Day, guys? I'll ask in a second if you want to, if you recommend it, but is there anything else we want to talk about? Any other places to take it? I felt like the movie was kind of thin, super well acted, worth watching for that reason perhaps, but there's just not a lot to it and I didn't well, find it to be all that interesting. I don't know if we said it on tape yet or not, but one of the reasons we think that they might have avoided the tension... <laughs> Merchant, Merchant and Ivy are uh, or Merchant Merchant and Ivy. If you don't know, if you know the context of this movie, they were a producing directing team that did these kind of prestige. What do you call these kinds of movies? What's the word for them? Like, um, what is the word for them? I don't know. I don't Merchant know. and Ivory films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They are. That is the word for them. They did these kind of literary ad- adaptations, these uh, prestige adaptations. They were uh, they were a gay couple that lived together. I think like fifty years until Mister. 
Ivory died. And Mr. Merchant actually just won the screenplay for a gay love story that he wrote a couple of years ago. He won the Oscar for that, for something something called Maurice, uh, not too many years ago. So he's still with us, I think. Yeah, it did feel that like they they kind of just took it in a very sentimental direction that's just not it's fast i wonder how ishiguro really feels about it he seems like a really humble like we said we liked him in interviews and stuff i mean i don't know him personally uh, in case that wasn't clear but he's, he's if anyone was i can't truly judge mr ishiguro but he seems like a nice guy maybe he's just like polite maybe he's like stevens he just doesn't know himself well enough to know whether this is a good movie or something i don't know it's probably the case <laughs> <laughs> Generally, the best novelists are the people who know themselves the least. Yeah, that's yes. right. <laughs> that's, that's what I always find. That's why I came out so hard in in uh, favor of Ready Player One. That's right. right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. That's why we love the Dubliners too. Yeah. <laughs> Joyce just understands everything, and he's so yeah. humble. Gets himself and all of Ireland and everybody else. Yeah, and everybody. They all suck except for him, basically. Well, okay. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to? About no, this. I think that was the last point that was worth making. Uh, let me look at my notes. I'll make sure there's no other points worth making. Let's see, we decided Hopkins, wrong choice. Who who would have been a better actor to play it than Hopkins? I knew you were going to ask that. Oh, it's a good question, isn't it? It's a classic booking question. It is a classic booking question. Who should have played this part? <laughs> I think I always kind of reluctantly join in this part. <laughs> Earlier, we were talking with Mr. Solzer, our friend from Sound of Sanity, about this. He said Rafe. Maybe I said Rafe. I don't know. Somebody said he Rafe said, Fiennes. He said Rafe Fiennes. And okay. I think that that's a terrible idea. Cause I thought Rafe, you were going to suggest Ben Solzer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> no comment there. Um, we love you, Ben. Rafe Fiennes they is way have too done, dignified who, who, and smart. Who's the butler? What's the name of the guy who plays the butler in uh, Downton Abbey? I could have done him. Yeah, he was perfect. He was really good. Just get that um, guy. Somebody who is slightly uh, plays an unself-aware... Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean. You know what? Maybe like a Heath Ledger as Joker kind of out of the box <laughs> casting kind of thing. Yeah, he Mr. probably Bean. could have done just fine. <laughs> James, uh, what was it, Cleese? Cleese. Cleese. Which Python should have played this part? Graham Chapman probably could have done a good job. Yeah. He's just my um, favorite. We always end up casting. Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, no, actually, I don't think you'd do it. Daniel Day-Lewis is way too smart. You need somebody. It's hard to play a character that's dumber than yourself. I think that's one of the most difficult things actors can do, and I don't like it. Like uh, Dustin Hoffman in that famous movie everyone loves. Gary he, Oldman. Nah, not Gary Oldman. Uh, Dustin Hoffman. Ian Holmes. Now you guys are just naming famous British actors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. No, that's a bad Jude choice. Law. What about Martin Freeman? A little young for the part. An older Martin Freeman, yeah, because he kind of played that in the first season of Fargo. Yeah, Martin Freeman's kind of good at actually playing credible dumb guys. Sorry, Martin. Sorry, Martin. It doesn't mean you're dumb. It just means you're good at playing credible dumb guys. Ray Winstone. Don't know who that is. Well, he'd be good. Christopher Lee. <laughs> Yes. Ian McKellen. Are you just looking at the cast of Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Viga Mortensen. <laughs> Liv Tyler. Yes. All right, guys, if you're not going to take the question seriously, then just forget that I asked. Hey. Just trying to do a show and get you guys to ask answer a fun question for our listeners. You guys just make fun of it. I see how it is. Fine. Who from... Kara Knightley's Pride and Prejudice. This is where we always get with this question. <laughs> Who would it... Did we just get Donald Sutherland to play this part? No. Mr. No. Knightley? What's going on? I'm confused. Don't we always end up just casting from... Her bo- her movie? No. How about that guy? You know, remember 28 Days Later, the zombie movie? Oh, yeah. The guy that plays the dad in that. 
And he's also oh. he's also Braveheart's best friend, the big stocky guy. Yeah. He might be good. Mel Gibson. <laughs> no, not Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jake has another suggestion here. No, no. Go ahead. No, I'm good. All right, guys. Does this movie get the LSOA? Uh, uh, qualified. Qualified by what? Well, it's uh, we've already decided it's not a, a good ad- adaptation of a novel that was never going to have a good adaptation made of it. Yes, correct. But it was a fine, it was okay. I mean, we gave a seal of approval to uh, Shadowlands. That's this true. This is better than that. Yeah. Was so, it? Yeah. Yes, yeah, this it was. was better than Shadowlands. I would never watch Shadowlands again. I have to say, I don't know which one's better, but I'd probably have more fun watching Shadowlands again than this. Okay, you might be right about that, but I don't know. I think I might just like Shadowlands better. I, mean, I ain't saying Shadowlands great, but Shadowlands just a much more enjoyable movie. I don't know. Life's short. Yeah. Well, truth is, I'm never going to watch either of them again, so whatever. But you would give a qualified, if somebody just wants to watch a quality movie about I, I would say re- if you're really British love story yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, if you're into you know the, this sort of period and like Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson, yes, then you're going to enjoy watching them play off of each other. If you just like servants and houses and cars, old-timey cars and stuff, if you're just into that kind of stuff, which I get and it's fine and I'm not, I'm sincerely not judging, there's things that I like to just watch because I like those things. Anything set in the 1920s, like roaring 20s kind of stuff. I just, I I could watch anything, even something really dumb. Brandon, LSOA? Yeah, yeah. You can be meaner than Jake. You can just say it's a crappy, you know. No, I think it it gets the LSOA. Okay. I think people can watch it. It gets a qualified LSOA. Sorry, I'm still trying to figure out who would be. Did it it win any awards? What about Derek Jacoby? It didn't. It came out the same year as Schindler's List, so it didn't have a chance. Oh. Derek Jacoby would be great. Yeah, I think he might be the guy. That might he might be the guy. This is Derek Jacoby. He played in a. Oh yeah, yeah. He played the dad in Cinderella, and he played in all kinds of stuff. Murder played, on the Orient Express. Yeah, he played in that. He also played Pol- um, not Polonius. Um, what's Gladiator. The of, what's the name of the evil king in Hamlet? I oh say yeah, Derek, but it's not Derek. Claudius. <laughs> Claudius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I think that might be his best role. He's an often uncle. a collaborator with Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. I think Kenneth <laughs> Branagh got into the business because he saw Derek Jacoby uh, yep. at playing Hamlet somewhere. So you give this the qualified LSOA? Yeah. As I think it's a wash as to whether it's better than... Which one would I probably watch again? To be honest, I probably actually would watch Shadowlands again just because I kind of like C.S. Lewis as he's portrayed there better than I like Stevens as he's portrayed here. Yeah, that's. I think that's the game for me. Is That's the reason. I'm going to give this an even more qualified LSOA. Yeah, I mean, I guess I should be clear. It's a very qualified LSOA. Do I think you should go out of your way to watch this? Probably not. I would say unless you're a sucker for this kind of thing, don't. I don't. I did, I really did did not particularly have a good time with this one. So I maybe I just won't give it an LSOA. I'm I'm not recommending this. Okay, but, fine. You talked me out of it. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I would basically agree with you guys that if somebody likes this kind of thing, then this is the kind of thing that they might like. But I just, mean, what do we mean by the LSOA? Do we think that somebody should go out of their way to look for this? Let's just make it. Let's just be biographical about ourselves. Did you enjoy watching this movie at all? I didn't. No. I found myself distracted at multiple points. I was even at some of the. Okay, fine. On, honestly, I was distracted during the final scene with him and the bird and all that. No, no, not the final scene. The emotional scene with Hopkins and Thompson. Oh. You said you could re- you could have read his, you could read his face and it was painful. I was checked out. 
Okay. Yeah. No, don't give it the LSOA. Whatever. <laughs> so, burn it. <laughs> burn it. I was nodding I, I was, my head at you while I was thinking, yeah. huh. I, I actually distinctly remember thinking, I've checked out. This is supposed to be the important scene. Well, you want I should me? check back in for this. I you, really you try to not to. An, what's that? I have a small confession. Yes. I may or may not have fallen asleep for like four <laughs> minutes. Yes. <laughs> My wife may or may not have slept through the whole thing. <laughs> well, I, I don't blame her for that at all. Fine. It's bad. I don't know. When I've been on my phone more during a movie, I try. I really that, try I not said, to I was do that. I was on my phone a lot during that. Movie. I really try not to be that guy. I'm just on the cusp of being a millennial person who does that, and I don't want to be that guy that can't watch something. I am never to it. on a phone during the during a movie. Yeah, I, I am the kind of person that gets distracted by their phone in all kinds of situations, but not movies. I'm always the guy who's really annoyed and bothered by people who are on their phones during movies. I just like this movie like, made a compact with you that you would give it your heart and let yeah, it play. Yeah, you need to pay then, attention to it. And if you're going to be on your phone and be distracted by it, you don't have a right to criticize it. Because, yeah. you know, what I what I hate is like, I'm going to be on my phone during the first five minutes of this movie while they're setting everything up. And then I'm going to start asking questions about what's going on. Oh, I don't understand. I'm huh? lost. Who's that? Who's that? I don't know. Why, what, what, why is yeah. this happening? No, shut up. Keep your phone in your pocket. Watch the actual movie from start to finish. They filmed those opening scenes as the opening scene for a reason. Yeah, they they weren't just like treading water and But I I found myself <laughs> having said all that. <laughs> having said all that, I found myself actually on my phone. And I was actually on my phone during that cathartic scene with between Hop, Hopkins and Thompson and I I knew it and I just didn't care. I and that's really I mean I don't know how to overemphasize the fact that... That's not how you usually are. Me neither. I never fall asleep in movies. You can start a movie at two in the morning after I've pulled an all-nighter, and if I've been there for the opening scene, I will be there to the end unless my body shuts down. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just the way that I'm wired. It's very difficult for me, but I was was constantly checking out. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just not then. No recommendations. Yes. <laughs> See, Brandon, that's how it's done. I talked uh, both of you guys into <laughs> hating this movie. That's what See, you sh- could have done with Jake like, the other day. I know. Uh, well, if only I could have your powers of rhetoric. persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> I was just over here fumbling over myself. You're over there ignoring our conversation and playing with your computer and your phone, <laughs> as a matter of fact. <laughs> I was watching you and noting the irony as I was talking. I know. <laughs> Sorry. I'm here. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> I was going down a rabbit trail with Ivory and oh, <laughs> Merchant. Yeah, <laughs> Anthony uh, Hopkins and Emma Thompson are just such great performers that I still don't want to. Yeah, if that, you want to see a fine performance, you can go and watch the movie. As to whether or not the movie is worth watching, like should you go out and spend three bucks? There are probably better movies you could spend three bucks on. Mm-hmm. Merchant and Ivory sound like pretty nasty guys. Mm-hmm. So to follow my famous dictum, mm-hmm. I've got to throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. here. So. <laughs> I got to stay true to my right, insane yeah. cause. Yes, <laughs> with what the biographical. Yeah, thing. I'm going to f- prove to myself eventually why so many great critics don't go this route. Right. So <laughs> wait. So you're saying I thought you were about to recommend something? Did I miss? No, I'm not recommending anything. Oh, okay. I'm recommending throwing the baby out with the oh, bath yeah. water. Yeah. See you later, baby. The bath water is Merchant and Ivory. Yeah. So out goes the baby. Yeah. The baby can hit the bricks with the bathwater. I would say if you're going to choose between... So often we'll say, watch the movie because it's shorter than the book. Yeah. In this case, you should read the book. The book's pretty short. And not worry about the movie. 
But at the, by the same token, as Jake is saying, Anthony Hopkins, Emma Thompson, very talented yeah. people. And if the, if you think that you would enjoy this movie, chances are you probably will. If you liked Downton Abbey, you'll like this. If you like Downton Abbey, I dare say you'll love this. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's pretty to look at. There are, there are fun, fascinating little things like the hidden doors, hidden servants' doors, and stuff like that. If you if that if you're a sucker for that, kind yeah, of yeah, thing. yeah. If you just want to see like the mechanics the, the wall of, opens up, you wouldn't know that it was a servant door yet. And then yeah, that sort of thing. If you're just into that kind of stuff, then sure, and knock yourself out, you'll love it. But I'm not into that sort of thing. And man, I thought the movie was kind of a slog. So uh, there you have it. There you have it. Very qualified. Seal of approval. The clause being if you're an Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson fan. Right. Or like this kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> and or <laughs> probably and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Booking today was written and produced by Nathan Alberson. It was executive produced by Nathan Alberson and Jacob Menzel, like all fine Warhorn products. Uh, I'm saying the wrong spiel, but that's okay. Until next time, <laughs> read a book. <laughs> what, Take for, a look. It's in a book. Rainbow. You know, reading rainbows on Prime right now, and I watched some episodes, and it, it's awesome. It brings back a lot of memories. Huh. I've seen everyone. Lavar well, Burton's the the boss. Yeah. yeah. If I could just have he and uh, Mr. Rogers. Yeah. If I could replace Jake and Brandon with Mr. Rogers and Lavar Burton, would you? Yeah. Probably. Who would be the Mr. Rogers <laughs> no. and who would be Lavar Burton? <laughs> Well, that's pretty easy. Fortunately, we don't have to. We don't have that. Well, he's Mr. Rogers. <laughs> that makes you Levar. <laughs> what? <laughs> you do wear that visor so you can see. <laughs> I was just thinking he was a pastor. You're a pastor. Me and Mr. Rogers, we have so much in common. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody that knows me talks to puppets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You talk to puppets. <laughs> you live all alone. <laughs> I'm the most 100% sincere person you've ever met in your life. You, yeah. <laughs> you change into your cardigan and then talk to children who aren't there. And was it in this episode we established I'm actually black? <laughs> so, yeah, it exactly. was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that made the final cut or not, but... <laughs> all right, folks. <laughs> the things that happen on the booking. Hey, we'll see you guys next week for Charlotte's Web, I think, maybe? I don't know. Sounds a good pick. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Sounds good, pig. That as the famous movie ends. Sounds good, pig. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs>